Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Sunday before last, I took a shot at defining what we mean by the concept of liberalism. The term liberal gets thrown around a lot. It's the opposite of conservative. So, except, you know, what's that? Well, I want to really think a little bit today about what all of that means. And two weeks ago, I shared excerpts from an article reporting on NatCon, a Christian nationalist conference. By looking at their agenda, which in lots of instances is diametrically opposed to the values that most of the folks here share, I think we can see a little bit more graphically what liberalism means to us. The NatCon agenda includes things such as a near-total moratorium on immigration. Well, I guess I'd, we just heard that one of the Pearson grants is going for new Americans, so I guess we don't really agree with that, huh? Right? Christian nationalism to dominate the public square. Well, I'm going to talk more about that. A rollback of LGBTQ rights. Well, yeah, that's diametrically opposed to one of our Pearson grants this year. Economic nationalism and opposition to globalist supranational institutions, such as the UN. Yeah, I don't think we agree with that. A vendetta against woke elites in cultural, academic, economic, and governmental institutions, and using state power to achieve conservative ends. My point two Sundays ago was that if any of this affronts you, you're probably a liberal, right? After all, concretely seeing what we are not, I think, helps us see what we are. Is liberalism as a concept opposed to a near-total moratorium on immigration? Yep, it sure is. Is liberalism as a concept opposed to Christian nationalism to dominate the public square? Yep, I think so. Is liberalism as a concept opposed to a rollback of LGBTQ rights? Yes, we are. So, a more positive definition, is liberalism as a concept synonymous then with democracy? And I think it is. Is liberalism synonymous with an embrace of multiple viewpoints and multiculturalism? I think it is. Is liberalism synonymous with the non-interference of specific religions in government? Yep. Yet, look around us. Those points by our opponents are gaining adherence all over the planet. The recent election in Italy. The recent election in France that just barely preserved democracy there. The rise of popular and populist national uh, parties all over Central and Western Europe. The turmoil among the conservatives in the UK, not to mention our own midterm elections. Liberalism is on the ropes all over the world. To me, our situation in our time appears to be a crisis concerning central and absolute questions. And 
the most central and absolute, perhaps, are where does authority lie? Who or what is in charge? The so-called conservative side has an answer. And yeah, the so-called liberal side has an answer. But today, I want to argue some old-fashioned, back-to-basics liberalism and say that that is a third way of going if we look at our core values and we can stick with those, and I think we can find a way forward. First, let's look right here at First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis. As I say almost every week, FUS is a democratic and self-governing organization. Here we have an answer to those basic questions, where lies authority and who is in charge? Well, it's you. You may not know, unless you have served on the FUS board, that they have a covenant. That's what's on the screen there. They read that at the beginning of each of our board meetings. In the interest of time, I won't, but I do want to talk a little bit about the liberalism therein. I mean, inviting all voices to express their truth as they experience it. That's a liberal way of thinking. Promoting a trusting, safe, and rewarding environment. That's liberal. Assuming goodwill. Liberal. The FUS Board Covenant is a liberal document through and through. In the case of this institution, we know where the authority lies. We know who is in charge. Now notice, there is no sentence in there saying, listen to the preacher tell you what God wants. <laughs> and that's about the last thing that's going to be in there, to be very frank with you. There's no room there for snake oil salespersons coming in and reshuffling the deck of authority. There's no room for marked cards. You, the people, are in charge. And someone like me, if I come in here and start saying, squirrel, squirrel, God told you, you're not going to listen. And that's a good thing. You are in charge. The covenant says you are not buying it. Who or what is in charge? You are in charge. Because, you know why? Yes, there are a bunch of yous among us, and then we gather together into a we, and that's what liberalism is. Humanism calls to you, do not give your power away. And liberalism calls us to that conclusion as well. Stick with it. You are in charge. Now, the first practice is always a local practice, and the FUS board is a good start. But how do we get that into the larger culture? How do we practice our liberalism out there? And American philosopher John Dewey, who I think is the prototypical liberal, once said, we only think when we are confronted with a problem. We only think when we're confronted with a problem. Now, as a liberal, I insist that taking the time to feel our way through a problem is not a luxury. It's how we have to do it. And allow me to admit up front that I am, by nature, a contemplative person. I, I don't have a choice about that. I always say, i got to think about it. There are people born to be people of action. And there are people born to be people of contemplation. We need both kinds of people out there. But let's face it, liberals tend to process a lot of things in their heads. 
But John Dewey was onto something when he said, we only think when we're confronted with a problem. Yeah, let me sit with that, not make my day. Dewey lived a long while ago, so I do want to update that little saying a little bit. Problem is kind of a problematic word. Let's be more optimistic. Let's say challenge. We only think when we are confronted with a challenge. For those of you who've studied Dewey's constructivist theory of education, you know that in constructivist education, Montessori is the most famous example of that, but problem solving is the foundation of all education. You're not going to remember it if you didn't solve the problem, argues constructivism. So Dewey saw that the paradigm permitting human social life must be about, wait, there's a problem and a challenge. I'm going to fix that. I can think about that. I'm not going to be on autopilot. So science is about problem solving. Art is about problem solving. Philosophy is about problem solving. Politics is about problem solving. International relations is about problem solving. Heck, managing the church budget is about problem solving. The practice of democracy, and in Dewey, democracy is a practice, right? The practice of democracy is about problem solving. The FUS Board Covenant is a document designed to encourage people to problem solve together, not with God talking to me in my study. This deep, deep conviction concerning thinking it through is what makes John Dewey a liberal, and it's what makes this congregation liberal. But let's be real. The conservative side has deep roots in American thought as well. Actually, maybe we could say they have deeper roots, if we're honest, among those European invaders from long ago. We do well to remember that the precursors to the religious liberalism of Unitarians were pilgrims and Puritans. Puritans came to this continent explicitly to create a Christian theocracy. The theocracy they envisioned was overseen by clergy and enforced by law. In that way, theirs was a vision much like the contemporary Christian nationalists. As it happened, Puritans jailed, beat, exiled, and executed those who dared to disagree with them. And again, if we look closely, the pattern of clergy, like me, in Unitarianism, and indeed, and most of Christian tradition is authoritarian in nature, wielding authority because the clergy claims to know what God wants, or in the case of Puritans and Unitarians, they claim that they can read scripture better than the rest of you can. Now that's something to keep your eye on there because yes, it's authoritarian in nature and really it hasn't ever changed exactly. As U.S. Thanksgiving approaches, we will be seeing those nice smiling pilgrims with their funny hats. That's not the story. Puritans were not liberal. They were religious extremists. There is a disturbing through line in American culture from those smiling white Anglo-Saxon Protestants to the nostalgia of make America great again. Actually, with a bit of digging, the pilgrims of Thanksgiving take on a sort of demented look if you start looking a little closer <laughs> at those faces. 
There's something dangerous baked into the American story, at least in this instance, our conservative friends who insist that the U.S. is a Christian nation are on to something. But I would say that none of it is good, perhaps especially the part that puts clergy in charge of religion and religion in charge of everything else. That's not good. Lest we forget the Puritans of Boston and their clergy tried and eventually exiled Anne Hutchinson for what they saw as religious heresy. Hutchinson had to leave the colony and she was killed by natives. Lest we forget Mary Dyer was prosecuted and eventually executed on Boston Common for her Quaker beliefs. As some of you know, I'm going to be talking in Boston in a couple of weeks, a couple times in November, real close to the tree that still survives where they hung Mary long ago. These things don't stop. They go into the DNA. Let's face it, the post-Puritan Congregationalists of Massachusetts got nicer because the multi-religious nature of the United States forced them to be more tolerant. Tolerance was not their choice any more than tolerance is the choice of our Christian nationalist contemporaries. Getting tolerant, let's call it getting nice, is a form of liberalizing, and I think that most liberals would agree that it's nice to be nice, even if that niceness happens to be forced upon you. And we all know that many will be unnice anytime they think they can get away with it. Liberalism is important to our society because we liberals insist in every way possible that it's nice to be nice. It's not a difficult message, but it's difficult to get for many people. The Puritans got nicer because they had to get nice. The Roman Catholic Church got nicer because cruelty wasn't working for them. Again, the central question here is one of authority. Who is in charge? The Puritans in charge did what they wanted to do, and it had to do with murder and beatings and executions. The Roman Catholic Church was in charge, and they did what they wanted to do. Who or what is in charge is always the question here and in the larger society. Many of our religious friends will say that God is in charge. That God, of course, is the God of their particular interpretation. In European monarchies, the assumption has been that monarchs have civil and social authority because their rule comports with the wishes of church authorities who are interpreting the will of God. Here, king, do this. Here in the United States, the Puritans operated through covenants that were interpreted by their version of the priests or shamans, those Puritan clergy. They were the authorities. They knew what God wanted. For those of us of a more skeptical bent, we tend to think that the monarchs and their priests and the Puritans and their clergy tend to hear their gods telling them exactly what those in charge of the power structures want to hear. And that's what we liberals expect happens when Christian nationalists are talking. Now, as we all well know, a person does not have to be an atheist to suspect this kind of authority. One can as well simply believe in another sort of God. 
who isn't saying the same thing as the monarchical priests or the Puritan clergy or the Christian nationalists. There are conservative gods, but there are liberal gods as well. There are conservative Jesuses and liberal Jesuses. And no, the kind of God you believe in or the kinds of gods you're atheistic about are not entirely a private and personal and subjective matter, right? Because your belief goes out into society and that coalesces into groups. Every God and every atheism manifests itself in the actions of individuals, but then those individuals often become voting blocks. I know I'm not telling you anything that you haven't thought about, but I want to underline the fact that the essence of liberalism is about that question, who or what is in charge? Liberals answer, we, the people, are in charge. We are the authority. That is the sacred core of this congregation. What's sacred about First Unitarian Society? We, the people, that's what's sacred. Sure, liberals say some of us believe in this sort of God and some of us believe in that sort of God and some of us believe in no God at all. That's all well and good, we liberals say. It is your liberty to believe as you will. Now, next, let's talk among ourselves and figure out how we the people are going to run the congregation and we hope the nation. That's the liberal ideal. We sometimes call it secular, but yes, it's a separation of religion and government. Now, there is one big gaping hole in the center of the liberal ideal. Liberalism only works through some sort of democracy or some kind of republic, if you will. It only works through the will of we the people as revealed by voting. And voting, as we all know, is inherently problematic. Corruption, cheating, those big voting blocks, large groups of people. It's possible for a totally fair election to result in a vote that ensures that another democratic and fair election will never occur again. That is possible. That's the gaping hole in the democratic ideal. And it's one of the greatest fears of liberals. To counteract that very real possibility, citizens write constitutions. We liberals know that there is inevitably and always a hard line right that's going to be screaming, blood and soil, tradition, religion, God. We know that there's inevitably always going to be a hard line left that says, individuality only, let's go, be ourselves. <laughs> Liberalism does not scream either of those. Rather, we say, where's the middle? Where's the place we can govern from? What is the compromise? Liberals, therefore, often find ourselves betwixt and between. A place that, yeah, you can say, oh, yeah, those, those people are milquetoast, half-hearted. Yeah, that's one way of seeing it. It's not, though. Rather, the place between is the place of power. If we might only choose that middle rather than our idealist dreams. That's what John Dewey was talking about when he pointed out that we only do our real thinking when we are thinking about problem solving. No, some things can't be compromised. 
The worth and dignity of every person is not open for discussion. Furthermore, liberalism as a tradition has recognized that not every disagreement can be settled with a win-win. We know that. If we can't compromise, we take a stand. Still, the place of compromise is not a place of weakness. It's not cowardice. It is the central practice of liberalism. And dare I say, compromise is the only way that democracy can actually work. So the question becomes, do we want to win or do we want to sustain a democratically governed society? The NatCon agenda is not negotiable for liberals. We will not surrender our central values of equity for all, the inherent worth and dignity of all, either as individuals or for groups. But there's something we easily miss when we start talking about extreme agendas. And that easily miss something is an opportunity because the devil's always in the details, isn't it? And the details and the devil are closely related in Christian nationalism too. At the moment, we're lumping Christian nationalists into one big lump and they want you to do that too see them as a very large and developing group. However, in fact, they are not a homogenous group. Yes, many Christian nationalists go to church, but Christian nationalists are the least likely Christian group to attend church regularly, as a matter of fact. Furthermore, only about 40% of Americans who say they're Christian go to church at all. So actually, these are not huge groups. They, are, they look that way, but they aren't. Christian nationalists are more nationalist than they are Christian, in other words. And Christianity itself is becoming more of a cultural marker than a practiced way of life. Divorce? We, some of us are old enough to remember when traditionalists said divorce was always bad and always wrong. You know what the most divorced group in America is? Christian nationalists. Hmm, there are holes in the agenda. Liberalism is indeed on the ropes at the moment, all over the planet. Here, however, we will hold it to our hearts and in our minds, and we will practice liberalism as a congregation. We will practice it also in our larger society, and we will, we will insist upon asking who or what is in charge, and we will continue answering, we the people. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.